<laughs> well, Merry Christmas, my friends. Isn't it good to be together? You know, I was uh, perusing social media yesterday, just absentmindedly, and I noticed a friend of mine that's a pastor somewhere else, he related a conversation he had with one of his children about today. And uh, the child was asking, what will today's service, is a little out of sorts, be like? And the father said, well, it'll be a lot of singing, and uh, there'll, be, there'll be a different kind of feel to the service, but it'll be a, about normal. And she said, well, uh, it will be mostly singing, though, right? No preaching in that service. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. It is a joy, though, to be together and to talk about what God's Word has to say about Christmas. Let me tell you, friends, two of our four Gospels have a Christmas narrative. The one that's most famous is in Luke chapter 2. If you are one who is so inclined, and I hope you are, then tomorrow morning at some point, either before or after you open the gifts, take time to read the first 20 verses of Luke chapter 2 as a family. It doesn't take long, maybe five, ten minutes, but it is an opportunity to be reminded of that first Christmas and the reason Christmas exists at all. The other narrative is in Matthew chapter 2, talking about when Joseph had the dream that would give Jesus an earthly father and how the wise men came. The other two Gospels do not feature Mark and John, a Christmas narrative in the same kind of vein that we would look for it. And yet, in John chapter 1, we have 18 verses. 18 verses that we call the prologue, the first 18 verses of John 1, that lay out the theological reasons behind Jesus' coming. When did this plan fall in place, and how did God intend for us to understand it? I hope you still have your Bible open to John 1. Not 1 John, that's one of the letters late in the New Testament, but the fourth book in the New Testament. In my Bible, it's on page 783, if that helps you. My hope and prayer is that today we will celebrate that Christ, the victorious King, is the one who has come. He is the one who came for us. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Today, Lord Jesus, we remember that you came. You didn't have to. It would have been much easier if you hadn't, for you at least. But you came. You came looking for us to open a door that only you could open. And so today, Lord Jesus, we celebrate that you came, opening that door to a right relationship with you. I pray, Lord, your blessings over this time we'll share together. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes to what the Apostle John has to say to us today. Let us rejoice, Lord Jesus, that you really are the victorious King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite shows of all time is The A-Team. Not the new one, not the movie, the original one. You remember that one maybe. If you don't, do yourself a favor today and go home and put on Amazon Prime and find The A-Team. What you'll find is that the bad guy always loses and they're always going to build something that blows up. Now I want to ask you, what's wrong with that? The leader of the group, if you've never seen the show, is a man named Hannibal. 
I won't bore you with the whole storyline, but my favorite line that he utters almost every episode is, I love it when a plan comes together. In other words, all these disparate parts over the course of the whole show have now culminated together, coalescing, you might say, into a composite whole. I was thinking about this yesterday as I was helping my wife do some baking. She was making an apple pie ready for tomorrow, and I sat there and watched as she measured things out and put them in just the right order. Now, it started with a whole cupboard, it seemed, full of stuff spread out. But over the course of about 30 minutes, I watched as she folded all of them together, and then she offered me an apple from it and said, here, Darren, be my guinea pig and sample this. I said, no. Now, you know that's a lie. Uh, <laughs> happily, I took it from her hand and wolfed it down, asking for a second one to make sure that I had it right the first time. Friends, I want to tell you, this is what happens when a plan comes together rightly. And when we see John 1, we see God's glorious plan in action. This was always in God's heart to do for us. Take these first five verses of John 1 with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This beginning phrase, in the beginning, if it sounds familiar, then just scratch yourself a note in the margin of your Bible or on the note page you received when you came in, and understand that John intends to link it all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. In other words, from the very beginning, Jesus was there. Jesus was there in the beginning. We call it a royal we in the beginning chapters of Genesis when God says, let there be light, and he says, let us make man in our image. This is the essence of the Trinity, and there Jesus was right there at the beginning. So that brings us back to that day in Bethlehem so long ago. Jesus' arrival was anything but normal. It was extraordinary circumstances. A virgin who's pregnant? It was an extraordinary moment in time where Joseph has a dream. Hey, Joseph, take this woman who is pregnant that isn't by you and marry her anyway. This is the essence of it. It's a reminder that God's plan always was this, to open the door for humanity to find a way home. You see, all of us have walked through our lives looking for hope, looking for life, looking for peace, but only Jesus can give it to us. And now, an eternity in the making, Jesus arrives ready to unveil God's majestic and glorious plan. He's ready to raise the curtain on it and let everybody else in on it. This, this was the fulfillment of all of human history, the culmination of God's eternal plan in his heart from the beginning. He always wanted us. That's why he made us in the first place. The thing is, we sold ourselves down the river 
We gave ourselves away to sin and death came as a result of it. That's why Jesus came. Jesus brought life as it was meant to be. He brought life as it was supposed to be. He opened the door for us in a way that we could not open for ourselves. This is the thing that we observe about ourselves. Too many times we use our lives in wrong ways or misappropriated ways or ways that we didn't see how it could all come together. It reminded me of a story that we might discover things by accident that we needed on purpose. Go back with me to 1942. There was a group of men, a scientist group, that was in trying to create a clear plastic gun sight for use in World War II. They noticed, though, that this particular version of their plastic wasn't as awesome as it should be. In fact, quite the opposite. No matter how hard they tried, this thing, this plastic would not stop sticking to everything it came in contact with. One of them had the bright idea that this might be useful some other places, and so superglue was born. That wasn't what it was created for, but that was what you use it for now. And if you're like me, you'll probably need some for the some assembly required things later on this week, right? God bless the makers of superglue. We needed them. We didn't know how much but they didn't know what they had. Or like the microwave discovery. Scientists were working on something else and they discovered that the chocolate bar they'd saved was getting mushy in their pockets. And they discovered that they could put it to commercial use. How many of your homes don't have a microwave? Of course, everybody does. You see, this is the thing. When Jesus brought us life as he meant to be, then we began to understand things in a whole new way. And one of the things that we began to understand is the difference between light and dark. Physicists tell us there's no such thing as darkness. There's only the absence of light. Being removed from light creates the context that we call darkness. It provides a cloak for things, good and bad. Provides us opportunity for rest. But the parallelism that John intends for us to see is right here. Darkness tried to overcome the light of the world, but it could not. Darkness tried to drown him out. But Jesus, the one true light, comes to bring light, dispelling the darkness. Try as the darkness might. It cannot extinguish even the smallest light. Today, we rejoice that Jesus is not the smallest light. Rather, he's the light of the world. And that's why God sent John. John the Baptist. He sent John with a purpose. John, you've got a job to do. And it's one that was foretold throughout the Old Testament. It says all the way through the Old Testament, there would be one who would come and and set things in motion, that would get things right for the Messiah to come, that would clear the path, if you will. Pick it up in verse 6, would you? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. We call him John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. 
the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, this is the thing. God sent the right messenger at just the right time. We talked about this last week, the process of waiting. It had been some 500 years since the last book of the Old Testament had been written. It had been 750 years since Isaiah said there would be a virgin who would give birth. It would be, it was another 250 years before that, before David took the throne, the one that would be eternal in nature. It's as if God has a clock that we can't see and he operates on it independent of what we might tell him. This is exactly the point, friends. God sent John at just the right time. Not only that, John's purpose was ordained just like yours is. You know, when we started back the last Sunday of November, these candles over here to my left, your right, they were much taller. They have cratered down some. When we started, all of them were as tall as the white one is now. But see, these candles came for a purpose. These candles were created to be consumed by the power of the flame. They were ordained for the purpose of the flame. I want to tell you today, my friends, they were consumed by the power of the light. May we be likewise. The light of the world that is within each of one of us in Christ let us be consumed by it as well, so that when we get to the end of our journey, when we reach the conclusion, we find that the hope that we have come to know through Christ was worth giving ourselves for. You see, John's purpose was to be a mirror, not to be the source of light, but to be the reflector of it for the light to bounce off of him. And that light came with a promise. You see, God had given a promise, and now, at long last, he brought it to pass. That's what our friends the Sparks read so well a moment ago. If you're one who highlights or underlines in your Bible, then would you please underline John 1.14. Let me read it to you one more time. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does it mean? It means this. Jesus is the highest point of humanity. He is the highest point of humanity. From the very beginning, this was the intention for God to open a pathway, a way of hope, a way of life that could come now through Jesus. And what purpose for, why, why did Jesus come? Well, I'll tell you why he came. He came to bring us the fullness of life. That's what he came to bring. Jump ahead to John 10.10 10, and you'll see that Jesus says this, I've come to give you life and to give it to you 
in abundance. Maybe you've heard some of these stories about GPS maps gone wrong. It's happened to most of us who have ever tried to find something we didn't know where it was. Well, some have decided to try to help people out by putting up warning signs. Here's what I mean. There's a particular path in Colorado that the GPS map will say you can take, trucker, this path. Someone has erected a sign that says, Dear Big Rigs, GPS is lying to you. You cannot make it up this hill. Thank God for people who are willing to help. I bet there have been some who have been grateful for that. So the reality is it'd be much easier if we had somebody to go along with us, somebody to sit with us or walk with us and take us because they know the way, because they've been there before. Hmm. <coughs> Indeed. That's exactly why Jesus came. He shed his, human, his deity, at least a portion of it, in order that he might take on humanity. He purposely limited what he could do. In other words, he couldn't be omnipresent because he was in a human body. And yet, there are times, like in John 18, where his deity cannot be held back. Today, I want us to remember that the same Jesus who died on the cross for us is the same Jesus who came for us with a plan and a purpose. From the manger, the cross was in view. And verse 16 is the culmination of it. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. The word picture that is used behind this is really beautiful. I want to take just a moment to talk with you about that. The word picture has with it the idea of ocean waves. Waves. Maybe it's been a while since you've been to the, the sea and you've forgotten. So let's talk about it just for a moment. The amazing thing about waves, no sooner does one start rolling out than another one comes in. And no sooner does that one start rolling out than another one's right behind it. One after another after another. Day and night, night and day week after week, month after month, year after year, it keeps coming, it keeps coming. That is exactly what verse 16 says about grace. You can never exhaust it, all because the word became flesh and dwelt, us, dwelt among us. As we celebrate Christmas, I wanna send you out of here with three eternal truths, things that you can walk away with, secure that these things are sure, based on what we've read today. One, as the author of time, God sees all of it at once. He sees all of it. And because he sees all of it at once, it's his plan that will deliver us home. Two, God created all of us with a purpose, to glorify him. What are you doing with that purpose? Are you using it or discarding it? 
Three, and finally, God's promises are certain. When you see that white candle lit, it means much more than this is the last service before Christmas. When you see that white candle lit, here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember the red candle, the prophecy one that said this was always God's plan. I want you to remember the green one, the one that says the shepherds were the first to hear, the ones who were least likely. I want you to remember that gold one, that the wise men, kings came as well as shepherds. And I want you to remember that purple one, the holy family. They all come together with that white candle. He's different. And that's why we light his last. The truth is, his burns all year long. His burns all year long because he came to make it so. Now, friends, what will you do with this word that became flesh? Will you celebrate him as the reason for your life? Or will you live for yourself? My prayer is that you will let the light of the world ordain your existence. For this is why it came. Let's pray together. Lord, we've come from a lot of places to be here today. And before we take this Lord's Supper, we want to pause just to make sure we haven't forgotten the reason we do it. We've come, Jesus, for the purpose of praising you. But I know, Lord, there are some, there are some who they don't know you enough to praise. I pray you would invade their hearts and minds right now, Jesus, that you would awaken them, awaken their hearts, and help us, Lord Jesus, to see today that you came for us. I pray for those who do know you, but they've forgotten what they're supposed to be about about how you ordained their lives. Awaken us, Lord, to the purpose that you've given to us. We got a lot of other competing elements, Lord, that want to call our attention elsewhere. We, we want to be yours, Lord. We want our lives to count, to matter. So we give it to you, knowing that that's the only way we can really do so. I pray for those, Lord, who need to encounter you in a fresh way. I pray for those, Lord, who maybe they saw the baptisms and they realize they've not taken care of that. I pray you give them freedom to do that today. I pray, Lord, for those who are wounded, for whom this Christmas is a painful one. It's a reminder, Lord, that there are people that aren't here today You've called them home in this last year, and this is our first Christmas without them. Will you show your comfort to those as well? And now, Lord, we enter into this time where we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. I pray that you would convict sin where it needs to be challenged, and that you would renew our hearts, Lord, right here and right now. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the love that you've shown to us and for the opportunity, Lord Jesus, to respond to you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So at the conclusion of this service in just a moment, we want to invite you, if you want to talk to somebody about your personal spiritual uh, situation, I'll be waiting for you right out here by the fireplace. Don't leave this building without talking to somebody about what God is saying to you. This is the day God has given you. At this time, we'll enter into a time of celebration of the Lord's Supper. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate. We want you to. But if you would rather not participate, then we invite you to slip out now. Deacons, please stand with me as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Let's pray together.